1: We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey.
2: Good morning, screenwriting lifers. Um, I guess it might not be morning where you're listening. It's definitely morning here in Los Angeles. And as you're probably figuring out, this is not going to be a conventional episode of a Screenwriting Life, but it's going to be a really good one. Uh, We were going to run an episode on boundaries this weekend, um, but we wisely decided to draw our own boundaries when a number of things kind of interfered with our recording. Uh, I got my second vaccination dose, and so uh, we did decide to draw boundaries, and instead we're bringing you something new. Um, Our intern, Jess, pitched a great idea, which was to kind of compile a best-of, kind of greatest-hits episode of some of our favorite screenwriting life moments. And as I look at the moments that we figured out and determined... It's kind of an emergency toolkit for you if you're feeling blocked or stuck or uninspired. So we cut together some of our favorite moments to help you through those challenges in sort of five to seven minute chunks. So in this compilation, you'll hear about how to overcome writer's block, how to outline and chunk in your writing, the importance of play, overcoming excuses, overcoming perfectionism, and finally the long road. Um, So the way we kind of worked this together was we played a highlight from one of these episodes And then between highlights, you'll hear this transition sound, which means we're moving on to the next episode. So I know this might not be a conventional episode of TSL, but I can promise you it's a really good one and a really valuable one. And we hope you enjoy it. Also, uh, happy Oscars.
0: Okay, writer's block.
1: All right. So we should probably talk about what writer's block is. Yes. What is writer's block? Right. I I think it'd be different things. Yeah, I uh, Googled, you know, what writers have to say about writer's block, and I I found all these really smart things, but basically what it boils down to is not writing, and from like what I was reading, and sort of, and then so it's the why, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's all these very deep psychological reasons why, or emotional reasons why, and I think we've talked about some of them, but it's just, it's not writing. Something's holding you back. Um, And sort of uh, one I read was writer's block is just uh, an excuse for uh, you're not writing today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a great excuse.
1: Yeah. And I don't, I'm sorry. I don't remember the writer who said that, but um, I should have written down in my research.
0: Email us. Yes.
1: Um, But, but I think there's, there's uh, so many
0: reasons for like, what is, is writer's
1: block? Right? And if
0: you, and if it is really bothering you, and it's not just an excuse to go to the beach, uh, which is valid, by the way, right. not right now, obviously, but, um, you know, what is it? You know, it's is it fear? You know, the fear of sucking, that it's just going to be terrible, that you actually want to stay up 30,000 feet and look at the pretty white stream. You don't actually want to look at the roller coaster, and God help you, you don't want to walk in and start building it while you're on it. Um, yeah, I get it. Nobody does. Um uh, that is the experience everybody has, um, or is it that? And the only answer to that is um, go through the turnstile, get your feet on the ground, and go through the turnstile and get on the roller coaster. Yes, that, just do it. Like write one sentence, write two, write a paragraph, and know that it sucks. Yes, great. Um, another one, I you know the other one is maybe you're just not connecting to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, again, these are just these are just think, thoughts that I had as I was thinking about my own writer's block. Block is that sometimes I'm not really connecting to the stories emotionally, like intellectually, I think I am, but it's not coming up from my well. It's not coming up from inside of me. It's something I'm trying to do in my head. I'm trying to think about it. Um, that's hard, it's possible. I'm not saying you can't do it that way. That's a much harder way to do it. Um, but I think you can get you know disconnected from the story. I think you can lose the thread, right? Of where was I? This is very hard for me because now with homeschooling and. Multiple things going on. Sometimes I just can't find the thread back in, and I have to literally like read everything I've written to be get back in the water, which just takes time. And then I get frustrated. But maybe you've lost the thread of what you're doing or why you started it. Um, it can be chemical. Like maybe you're just mm-hmm. tired. Maybe there's just not the synapses are not firing because you actually have overworked and you need to go take a nap. That is possible. You know, it can also be avoidance. You the only one who can know that is you. Um, but it can just be chemical. Like you just aren't, uh, you aren't available right now mentally to do it. And that's okay too. Um, And, you know, you, maybe you have just too many emotions rising up and fighting each other. Right. And so it just becomes this cacophony and eventually is just noise, right? Like it's just Mm -hmm. noise. And how do you, how do you get through that? Um, Some solutions that I do, this is just what I do. Um, You know, sometimes I just have to go do something else. Like if it is true true exhaustion um you do need to go take a nap and then see if something comes up when you wake up um take a shower you'd be amazed like letting water run over your body and like you know cl- cl- you know cleanse the aura i
1: guess um, i'll get to the point where i have to i give up i get angry i storm away i take a shower because i'm done i quit i can't do that think about that anymore and then i take a shower and like out of nowhere
2: like, yeah, oh. and that's
0: a known a known psychological yeah. physiological actual brain thing that sometimes you know have you ever looked at the stars and if you actually look at a star directly on you can't see it but you can see it out of the corner of your eye like sometimes your brain just needs to see it uh, a little bit differently mm-hmm. um you know gardening gardening you know get your hands in dirt get your hands around life and around living things take a walk look at the sky that, i know this sounds silly but like when I'm in an office and it has no windows, I can't write in there. Right. Because the sky is part of my imaginative process. Like I need to see the, 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 the largeness of the sky. Now, for another person, that might make them feel small, but to me, it actually makes me feel connected um, and that it's okay because everything is beautiful and, and large out there. Um, so um, what I'm talking about, of course, is getting into your body and out of your brain because you've lost that body connection. And I really believe a large part of writing comes from the body, um, comes from that unconscious. So whatever you can do to get back in your body and get some dopamine going uh, is a good thing. Everybody, each to each their own, right? Like mm-hmm. I wish I could say jogging, but that's not me. I mean, I do try to j- want rock, yeah. rock and jog, but then I fall asleep because I'm exhausted. But I know for some people that is a fun yeah. thing. Um,
1: Before all of this, before all of this, I would take walks and listen to really loud music. Oh. Now my dog is barking again. Um, Because the the loudness of the music, like music I love, right? Right. And just take a walk. And um, something about, like you're saying, like giving my brain something else to do, to chew on, like not looking directly at it, really, really helps. And it gives me the time, too, to think a thought all the way through on a walk before I write a sentence and think it's trash and run away from the idea, right? Like half an hour out there stomping around, I can really chew on something. And music's great. Music is a
0: great, like we worked with a director at Pixar who loved um, soundtracks and he would just drive around listening to soundtracks and trying not to think of the story Mm -hmm. because it puts him and music puts you into an emotional state. Mm -hmm. right? And that will start connecting you back to your body. The walking is connecting you back to your body, right? So music is a great way to do it. Pick some music that you think is the theme of your character, the theme of your movie, and just let it, you know, dance and and sing it out, right? Mm -hmm. Dance around your living room. I dare you. Please tell me if you do it because I've done it. I've done that. I put the music on really loud and danced around my living room. Only Um, if you do the
1: footloose dance where you're punching the air in the barn. (laughs) That would make me happy. Oh my God, you just <laughs>
0: aged us right there. Footloose is a great reference.
2: <laughs> it is. You mean so the you... one starring Julianne Huff, right? Is that what you guys are talking about?
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely what we're talking about. Yeah. And so write whatever comes up, honestly. If it's just about writing and you are a person who cannot commit to everyday write, okay, it's 10 minutes a day, whatever the heck comes up. Whatever character shows up and knocks on the door in that 10 minutes, which I hope you can make 15, which I hope you can make 20, which I hope you can make a half hour. Come on. You can do 20 minutes a day. Come on. You can. Um, And don't worry about if it's good, if it's bad, if it's a script, if it's a play, if what's the market, blah, blah, blah. None of that. They don't get to come to the party. Right. You just, you know, you just have to commit to the muse. And I, I do think the writing can save you as well. Like it can save you.
1: I think the other two things that can be really helpful are writing in a genre that's not what you're trying to do. Like oh that's interesting. You know, uh fiction,
0: poetry. You've done this, Meg. Oh, right, right. You mean like like the medium itself. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, I literally got this idea from you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, genre, I thought you meant I thought you meant like go write a horror movie. And I'd be like, Oh my god, I've never written a horror movie. I used the wrong word, but that could also be helpful. It could be a genius. You are a genius. Right. Look, people, it just happened in real time. (laughs) In real time. She was chunking through it and she (laughs) And You know, here's the thing so here I want to say one thing quick. My son is learning music and he's actually such a perfectionist that we got him a jazz piano teacher because jazz is teaching him that the true creativity is in the mistakes that the true profound thing they are looking for is in their mistakes that is jazz it is decoding his perfectionism it is also writing yeah I know that's hard to grasp, but in the mistakes is the stuff. You have to do them. You're not gonna get away with not doing them. I'm sorry, it's not possible. It is the actual essence of what you're doing. No pressure. My advice in disappointment and whatever, however it comes up is just get to the next stone in the path. Just get to the next good spot. It does wonders like I literally I was so kind of in a bad spot and feeling horrible and like I was a horrible writer and I was a total loser and I just had I just kept writing I literally just kept pushing through and I really felt like I was going through the motions. And I, you know, a lot of people think about writing as inspiration and, uh, you know, it's like this magical flow. And yeah, that happens sometimes, but honestly, a lot of times it's literally just, I'm pretending to be a writer right now because I do not know, I don't know how to make this work. And I don't even like you people that I'm writing about anymore (laughs) because you're bugging me because you will not make any sense. And I'm not connected to these characters and oh my God. And I just keep writing and I just keep writing the scenes. And then I had this amazing thing happen where all of a sudden it started to click and I went, entered that flow. I did, and it wasn't like, oh, within 20 minutes. I'm talking like all day. And then all of a sudden I entered the flow and I wrote a really good scene. And I knew it was a good scene as I was writing it. And all of a sudden I was like, I like these people and I like them together and I like what's happening. I would have never gotten there if I hadn't just kept going stone to stone go to the next scene go to the next one this sucks okay i don't know i don't know this actually makes no sense because i wasn't connected yet and but the only way i can see that really you're going to get connected is by writing the scene sometimes writing outlines or talking about it helps you but honestly not really because it's a different part of your brain right they have to walk around they got to talk so you know I I personally realized as a writer, I connect to relationships. I connect to the characters relating to each other and that's how I find them. So if I'm always just talking about who the character is or I'm always an outline, I never get to do that. I never Mm. get to have them talk to each other and interact and surprise me, which is the best part of writing when you're like, I have no idea why she's getting off the horse. Where is she going? Oh my God, she's pulling out her sword. What is gonna happen? Like that's the best, right? But it's not like I do that all day long. I literally get moments of it. I get pieces of it. And that's why I'm a writer, just to get there, right? But I just wanna to say to everybody, it's hours and hours and hours and days of work sometimes of just going through the motions to get there. Like that is writing. Like it, we, we, all, we all have some idea in our head that you know these writers like Hemingway just sat down and wrote and were these geniuses. I'm sorry, I just don't believe it. Mm -hmm. I I think it's a lot of blood, sweat and sucky stuff, man. Like it's just, just try to, that's what the chunk it out. Just try to get back into curiosity. Try to get back into finding the slinnest net thread of connection because they said something that was interesting to you or all of a sudden, and that I get it. The demons are telling you, stop, this doesn't work, but I'm telling you and telling your demons, you have to go forward forward in order to get there. And you have to go forward, stopping. I don't believe most of the time will actually get you there. And it's really hard because it feels super, like you can't breathe sometimes because it's just like, you You know, some part of your brain knows it doesn't work. So that, you know, I yeah. really had this great experience of having that That's happen. Great. I will tell you the next day, <laughs> after <laughs> that great scene, I wrote another really bad scene. <laughs> so it, you know, it's not like it just comes, you turn on the tap and now it's on until you want to turn it off. You know, right. that's what happens. So I think
1: it, I think that's, that's what we talk about discipline. Like that's right. what we're talking about is that you. it's not just putting in the time. It's, it's really committing to do it because it feels like uh, when you, when I get to that place where I'm like, I get to that stone, I can't even see the next stone in the path ahead. Right. right? And it feels like the abyss and it feels like, the demons and the abyss of trying to jump to that next stone is confronting my identity as a writer, as a creative person. So I feel like, oh, if I just stay on this stone, to sort of wallow in this, right, and not even jump, then I can still kind of pretend I'm a writer, right? But it's the jumping, and but it's the confronting that and trying to put all of that aside is really, really hard. So it, it it's like staying in the seat, staying in the scene, writing, typing, like not falling off the chair and bursting into tears, which I have done. Write the bad Um, scene,
0: write the scene as bad as you can. Choose a rock, I swear to God, you know who who knows the next stone? Your character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your character knows it but that you have to write in order for them to tell you. And you know what, maybe it's gonna be a rock that you freaking hate. It's full of moss, it stinks and it's underwater, but okay, it's a rock and it's gonna get you to the next rock and the next rock. And eventually you might get to a place that you realize, I don't even need any of those rocks, but I never would have gotten to this little island if I hadn't gone on all those shitty rocks. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is sometimes like leaping into the unknown and uncertainty because you don't know what the, that there's a rock under your foot, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you there is, there is a rock under there and you have to keep going because standing on your rock that you're certain of is not gonna get you anywhere, it's not Mm -hmm. writing. You can't get to that island over there Mm -hmm. by wishing it, right? It's literally a slog through that swamp and I'm out of metaphors for rocks and (laughs) water. But cause and I, then it's dry, and then it's
1: a canyon.
0: <laughs> so I, what I do is I always start with kind of a very large, thirty thousand foot couple of steps. I outline in my for myself, and I might do it on a whiteboard. I find whiteboards for myself are the best, which is where I literally am just saying where who's the main character, what do they want. Why do I care about them emotionally? How how am I gonna meet them? How am I attaching to them? What's their vulnerability? I I know my basic things that I need for a character. And then I say, what is their inciting incident? What's their end of act one? Some sort of midpoint, it could be something like this. Midpoints could be really, really tricky. What's the main relationship that's moving through this? Really important for me is what's their end of act two. Uh, because that is the theme of the of the of of the movie and why i care about it. So to me i really spend a lot of time on where they're starting, what they want, what what is their secrets and all that great character stuff, but then i really go and i look at okay, what's the end of act 2? What are they realizing about themselves? And then i kind of have an idea of if i don't know what the action of the climax is, i know what i want their character to be doing. So when i say like an outline, i mean literally i'm tracking the biggest, biggest movements of the character and the main relationship. And then I might do my puke draft from there, honestly, because that's a container, right? It's a little roadmap, but it's not so done that I get worried if I'm going off of it, right? So it's kind of like, here's a version. She's gonna start here and she's gonna end here. I think this is the main relationship that's gonna help crack her open. This is the kind of conflict that she's facing. And this is really the kind of emotional end of act two I want to get her to, even if it's a kind of little bit broad even. I don't know how I'm going to get her there. I don't know who's with her, but I know emotionally what I want to feel. And then I do a puke draft and I just write and write and write and write. And from there, after that puke draft, I might go to cards, right? Because now I've mm-hmm. kind of, I allow it to come up. I allow the I allow the writing and the creativity and the the genius Let's just say the the, 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 uh, the, the the muse of the genius to come or not. Um, it doesn't matter because it's just clay. Nobody's going to see it. It doesn't have to be good or bad. There's no judgment about it because it's literally like a dream. It's just a dream I had. And, so I, and I have fun and I try to really make sure it's fun. And if it goes off and I don't know what act two is, I might stop and say, wait, where am I going? Or I might just keep going. But the trick is to get to the end because the end, tells you the beginning. So now I've got a lump of clay and now I might card, right? And then from carding, I might go to like a treatment, but generally you might do I would do that mostly for executives. I don't generally do a treatment. I generally do cards and then, and that, and then I go to a quote unquote real draft at which point, by the way, it all could go off again. But so when I say chunking, I kind of mean that, what uh, that puke draft, that draft where you kind of have the basic uh, poles—the basic stops along the character's journey—but I'm just chunking out what's coming in between to get there. Does that make sense? Like, okay, it could be this, it could be that, and then she's going to go to the gas station, and she's going to meet him at the gas station. I'm, but I'm literally writing the scene. I'm not writing an outline. I'm literally right letting her walk in, letting her meet him because he might say something right now that surprises me about his character and changes, starts to change this and. Then her response might change. You know what I mean? Like I, I want that chunking out to be an active, alive thing. It needs to be alive. Like it needs mm-hmm. to have energy to it. So now that's it's different in and and animation where you do a lot more carding um, because it's much more of a collaborative, yeah. more like TV experience where you're around a table and people are throwing out ideas and you're putting cards on a wall. Um, and you're usually working with a director. So you have, to, but really, if you think about it, that's really the chunking out that I'm talking about, but with other people, <laughs> right? Right, Where there news is throwing out, well, she could go here, I don't really get that, or it could be this, and you know, then you're kind of chunking out in cards and putting it up as cards. Um, I tend to get very detailed on those cards, whereas the director I'm working with right now, he's really good at keeping it very kind of top in terms of like five words on the card
1: every project has its own life and every writer has their own process that works and sometimes it's hard to really uh, define what that process is like to say this is what I do some writers are really able to do that and um, I'm I don't right like I wouldn't be able to sit down and tell you like here's my philosophy about it it's sort of each project becomes its own thing right now I'm writing something original and I just realize I have to stop intellectualizing my process like Mm. I'm gonna do cards. I'm gonna do this I'm just gonna sit down and start writing yeah right I'm just and it's and it's a thing like in a parking lot right I'm not gonna write the scene description I'm just gonna write she's in the parking lot and then if I feel inspired to write the scene I will and keep moving because this is a high concept idea I have but I don't I don't know a lot about it I've been trying to approach it from a very high level but I haven't gotten into my main character enough so I'm just now gonna put her in the world and see what she does and sort of it'll be sort of a scriptment I hope which will be like describing where I want those sort of chunks to be and where I hope she's going to go but letting her letting her lead because me trying to tell her who she is and what she needs to get done is not working like she's not cooperating at all I
2: think that's um, important because like we we chose screenwriting because we love the craft we love dialogue we love letting characters in a room to talk to each other. So I think like, because we chose that craft, our instinct is to get in there and write that. So I think like the scriptment approach is valuable because those pivotal scenes that you probably have already cooked in your head, you can actually get in there and start writing them.
1: Right. And they might not be as sexy and amazing as I think they are when I get them on the page, but they might lead me somewhere else, mm-hmm. which will be where I need to go. So I think, um, I can get caught in that trap of intellectualizing what I'm writing or my process or how it's supposed to go. But, you know, as Meg tells me, just sit down and write it.
0: All of us avoid in different ways, right? And we protect ourselves in different ways. So if you're a writer who avoids by having lots of ideas that you don't finish, Mm -hmm. then when you get in and you find out your chunks don't work, you absolutely must finish it the way it is chunked out. Because you've got to teach, because it could be an avoidance tactic of your brain. It could be a jump off because you're actually afraid to complete, right? Or there's other writers who only write one, they have like one project and they just rewrite it over and over and over and over and over. And it's so precious. That writer, if they get in and the chunking doesn't work, absolutely go with it. Go with whatever just came up forget the chunking go right towards this new thing and, and develop that muscle of it's okay it's fine chunk it out again go again go again now like at pixar and other places if it wasn't working you would just throw it all down on the ground right. chunk out a whole brand. start over it. yeah start, over, start yeah. over I tend to do that because I got trained that way at pixar start over chunk it out again go again go again which is really emotionally challenging but uh wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great that as a
1: writer we aren't constantly confronted by (laughs) self-knowledge you know like having to evolve as a creative person being available for the
0: genius it is such an evolution of yourself man it's unbelievable so it really depends right on terms of your question of if if those chunks don't work really get honest with yourself about who you are and, and where you're we all avoid somehow, right? I avoid by being over over committed. That's how I avoid getting into the, some of the darker vulnerable stuff, right? So but in a way sometimes I can use that as the thing to slam me into it because like I don't have time, just write it. Right. And there right. it comes. Um, right. so it's 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 figuring out who you are and but generally in a general way I would say if the chunking isn't work, re chunk it. I do think doing um, you know, Letting, doing the vomit draft, just in, or do an exercise of letting scenes, write scenes that you know aren't going to be in there, which is what I'm really struggling with right now because I feel the pressure of the time, but I actually need to, I just keep pushing in and saying, okay, I don't even know if this is going to be in here. I know she's not going to talk about this because this is like 20 lines and she she's not, not going to have a chance to say all this, but you know what? I have to write out these 20 lines because I just need to play and let her talk to me and let it play and discover who the characters are because they're having this incredibly long ten-page conversation. <laughs> but right. I, you, it's the playfulness of letting them play with me and letting them as characters talk back to me and surprise me. Um, I do, you know, I think letting your character write to you when they're a hundred is always fun because they know things and that you don't know, and let them do that. I thought Aaron Sorkin's advice to create great villains: write. Um, what they would say at the pearly gates when they get to heaven and why God should let them in. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this a great, like, mix-it-up, playful way to uncover your character? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some people do vision boards, which I think is great because it's a different part of your brain, and so maybe you'll be able to play more that way because, you know, that part of your brain isn't usually... um, allowed in but now it's collecting images and collaging that can be on the computer or actually collaging so and you know often when you're doing a pitch you're doing image boards so it is actually also a tool that can be used right like here's the Mm -hmm. location here's the feeling here's the tone of it you know here's what the character kind of looks like um and suddenly you put two images together of two characters and you can see the show in a new way like i had to do a whole presentation once for a a pitch and uh, it really helped me a lot. It really helped me a lot understand the show better. Mm -hmm. Um, Another exercise that I do sometimes for playfulness is clustering. Have you ever heard of clustering? So you just take Mm -hmm. a blank piece of paper and you write your character's name in the center and then circle it and then any word that comes into your mind when you think of let's say okay my character's name is Jane. Okay, Jane, silly, funny, goofy. And you just write the word and circle it and then line, circle it until, so you create like a little chain, mm-hmm. bubble chain coming off of that big center bubble until it kind of peters out, you know, and then you go back and you say, Jane, shut down, grumpy, blah, blah, blah. And then now do that. So if you fill the whole paper with just words that your brain is throwing out when it thinks of Jane and then go and like maybe put her um, title in there or her role, so mom. So mm. if Jane is a mother, now you do mom. And let that, now. okay mom, um, shut down, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> mad, doesn't wanna mad, play. exhausted. <laughs> right. Anxious. I'm anxious, never does it right, whatever. Um, and just let that come out. And you can start to see, you know, oh, Jane as a person is this, but as a mother, she's this. So, again, it's a playful right brain, not left brain way to, to dig it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think improv is a wonderful way to learn to play. Um, boy, you're, you really, when you do improv, yeah. it's fun. But you can feel very vulnerable and like you're out there skating Right. Yeah. Uh, on an edge. But that's it's so playful and it's so accepting yeah. because there's no judgment. Um, and I, so I learned a lot from doing improv and working with an actor. Like I highly suggested if you guys don't feel like you have enough play, you, there's online improv classes happening now. I know because my friend is teaches teaches one. Um, so that's another. And I was going to say
2: quickly with improv, too. You mentioned that there's online classes What's really cool is I know it's hard to view this pandemic as having positives, but I think it's healthy for us to look at how sometimes hurdles can create opportunities. Right now, you can attend really prestigious improv schools online from whatever part of the country you're in. Yeah. So, I, for example, when I first moved out here. Um, Trained with the Upright Citizens Brigade, which is Amy Poehler's improv school. It's pretty reputable, and you know you can live in Kansas and still take classes at UCB Los Angeles right now because of the shift in the program. So that's something I'd encourage. I think it's an actual cool opportunity for you rather than something that would hold you back.
0: That's great. That is such a good perspective, and what play can do is. Um, what play can do, sorry, my 17-year-old is bouncing up the stairs as we speak. Um, what play can do is let you see the world in more positive ways, right? Because we can get inundated with the negative and what isn't right. and But play reminds you how beautiful the world is and that um, you have some power in the world, which is even just how you see it. Like, it's so great to see the world as now there's an opportunity. You can take all these classes mm-hmm. long distance. So I think that's amazing. Um, I have a
1: fun exercise that you can do um, however you want. But I sometimes think about, like, what's the worst thing that can happen to my character that's, like, maybe outside the genre? Like, if I'm writing a drama and then I'd be like, well, what would they do if a zombie bit them? <laughs> Right. Or like, what would they do if like an alien landed and found your character and was like, take me to your leader? What would your character do? Right. And just like the work, like throw the worst possible crazy things at them. Like, what would they do if everyone they knew disappeared or their family was killed or they lost a limb? Like what it really you know, you can find really cool things in like that, that's outside the genre, that's outside your story. But I think there's a lot of discovery there that can lead you to something in creating some high stakes plot, yeah. character-driven thing that's really fun. And then you can do other things too that seem like good to you. Like, what would they do if they won the lottery? Which can lead to scary bad things too, right? right. Do they Are they secretive about it? I, I always think that that's a fun exercise. And you can do that writing or you can talk it out with a friend. For me, right. that is play for me. Like, if I can get together with a fellow writer and talk things out, what if this, what if that? Which is improv in a way, right? because yeah. your friend is gonna be like, yes, and this next, you know, they can build on it and probably isn't gonna shut you down if you're like, I just need to brainstorm. I just need to figure out who this character is or like, what is this world? And y- yeah, what is and the you genre know, even?
0: That's a really good, made me think, Lorian. Like, if you have a writer's group that's reading, you know, you read each other's work, Don't just get stuck in only giving notes, right? Mm -hmm. Because you need to do that and that's the analysis part. And I'm not saying don't do that and uh, remember, guys, record it. Um, But really try to get to the playful part of it too, where you let people in that group just start improv and spitballing, anything, crazy things about your script. Because boy, you can get some really great insights. Now, whether you actually do that specific thing or not, the insight into how their brain went towards the story—I I think it's often better than the notes because it's so illuminating. And sometimes you can get also friggin' great ideas. But mm-hmm. um, you know, to me, the notes part is rather torturous. But the spitball fun part—like I'll never forget in *The Good Dinosaur* when you know—I think it was Andrew Stanton up galloping around as a as a uh, as a T-Rex. Uh, you know, it was fun, like it was just, it, it was really about enjoyment and making each other laugh and being like, oh my God, that's a good idea. And then she could do this and then she could do that. And again, and don't yeah. shut it down because it doesn't matter. It's just playing, they're just playing. And out of that play, you get a lot of energy back towards your project. So really try to, you know, get that too, you know, uh, into your life. And I, I would think now with COVID, there's people online forming groups mm-hmm. and Zoom groups. like. We're doing it on Zoom, it doesn't matter. That play yeah. can, it's 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 more fun in person of course, but you can do it uh through Zoom as well.
1: The I would caution you though when you when you get notes or when you're letting other people play and it's fun, the the play suggestions can feel like notes. It can feel like what you have isn't good enough. Mm. Do this, right? Because I'm always like somehow everything is a critique, everything is a criticism. <laughs> so for me separating that in my brain like oh we're just now having fun right shifting over to like it's not saying that what you have doesn't necessarily not you know not work but you can consider other things you know like that yeah i mean you have separation
0: and you know i would highly recommend um everybody listening develop that muscle because it is in the play That Mm -hmm. some of the best ideas come because they're seeing it from a different angle, like literally Mm -hmm. from 30,000 feet different place. So um, you can really get a perspective on your work that you cannot get with your nose down alone. Um, But yes, don't take it personally because now they're playing and they're grabbing paint and painting their own picture. Yeah. the paint might be inspired by what you did, but now they're grabbing it and painting it. And, you know, as a professional, if you ever want to do these rooms that studios do now or um, work in a larger company, this play moment or work in TV in a room there, this is what's happening. People are just starting to throw and play. And when it's fun is when you get the best stuff, I think. I mean, not, mm-hmm. you know, of course, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, sweat and tears also get great stuff, but uh, let's have fun while we're doing it. <laughs> I mean, because remember that um, in terms of that, I also wanted to point out, you know, play is about engagement, right? It's about connecting and engaging and should be pleasurable. And there are, it's about making mistakes. I mean in, in play there are mistakes, quote unquote, because there is no such thing, right? It is literally just right. a, a, a concept, a thing that's throwing around. There's no mistakes and yet your brain is going to be like, well, that can't be right' it's Like well, there is no there's no dumb idea when you're playing, right. It right. is the opposite of perfection, right right. And uh, when I was listening I was listening once to Andrew Stanton talk and he was talking about this and how important it is and he described it as a guitar strum that you have to just think of it like you're, you picked up a guitar and you're just strumming chords. And those chords are just a scene that came out, like literally as you're going from, like what I'm doing right now, going from cards to script and suddenly I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna guitar strum this because this isn't working. So what other crazy thing could happen and then I just write the scene, right? So you have to allow that flow because what I think is so important about this and why I wanted to make it a topic is because it's emotional. Mm-hmm. It's not intellectual. It is emotional work. And you need that in your script more than anything else, in my opinion, is that emotional currency. And that's going to come in through the playfulness of it. Yes, it, it might come in through the sorrow and the you're pushing in the lava, for sure. But it's not just lava, right? It, it's also it coming in through the play and the fun. When, when there's nothing to, quote, unquote, accomplish, right? A guitar right. strum is not about accomplishing a song that wins a, you know, an award. It's a guitar yeah. strum. That's all right. it is. Yeah, play is not about productivity. I love when people say that they write from inspiration and they just write and write and write. I'm like, I, ne- like, I love when that happens, like what's happening to you, Lauren, where it's coming really fast, but that is not always writing, and for no. sure that isn't always rewriting. Rewriting is, you know, picking the wall, hoist yourself up. I literally did it just scene scene, scene piece by scene piece and let it and I would go from I tried not to go at 30,000 feet for this because every time I went up too high and looked at all the ripples I would freak out so I just stayed down in the details um you know and the other thing I did that I wanted to share with you guys is on a different project I um have a character that I could tell that she was really just archetypical and giving a lot of information but she she just didn't have character yet, uh, you know? I didn't, she wasn't specific. She wasn't, I wasn't meeting a person. I was meeting an archetype. And, I, you know, I knew the call to action was that uh, the person I'm working with really wanted her to be charming, which I know is so hard. It's like, oh my God, that's like the hardest thing you could ask me to do. Like make this person charming. Oh my God, like that's hard. (laughs) Um, So what I did was, I had already done all the research on the archetype. I'd watched the movies that have this archetype in and how other people had done it. And I I knew how the archetypes generally moved and who was around them and blah, blah, blah. I knew all that, but that doesn't give me a character. That gives me an archetype. So Mm -hmm. I did a lot of documents and it's funny because so for the week I felt like I'm doing nothing because I wasn't writing quote unquote pages, right? I was writing these documents and they're half documents of on her character. Like, um, I just I wrote down the insights I had on the archetype and then I wrote I was like, Okay, so this archetype usually presents as naive or an expert. Okay, well, if she's naive, what does that do in my story and who would that be? And if she's an expert, who would that be and what does that do to the story? And well, I really kind of do need her to be the expert. Okay, well then the next thing I did is I went to actors. I'm like, Okay, so now I have this archetype, I want her to be this piece of this archetype. She's gonna be an expert. Okay. What just for fun? What actors would be super fun that could just do the, you know, could just knock this out of the park, right? And I I just thought of three of them and I actually when I was driving to meet you, Lorian, I just listened to podcasts of them talking. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not acting. They're just talking. They're just being themselves, right? And it just and, and they're different people, but it just starts to fill my brain with a voice and voices And then I went and I opened a a blank page and I just did stream of consciousness, let this character talk to me. Like, it doesn't have to fit anywhere. It didn't, She. I was like, okay, I know you're gonna enter the scene here and she just started talking to me. And sometimes she just talked as if it was, she was talking to nobody and sometimes she spoke to the characters that I knew she was gonna interact with. And now the voice is starting to come, right? And I'm starting Mm -hmm. to see her and how she sees things and what she does And then I went and wrote the scene. And then I forgot about everything that I did and just tried to let the scene be a writer. Like, be a writer in the scene. I'm standing in this room, she's walking in. Okay, now I'm in her perspective. What does she want? What is she trying to do here? What is her intention in the scene? What is she trying to win? What is blocking her? But not any of those thoughts, just that emotionally. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not writing thinking intellectually what does she want but I'm trying to emotionally feel what's important to her and how she's trying to convince them right what her thought process and verb verbiage would be to convince them um so it just really that's such a
1: great way to think about character want in terms of character motivation that it's not I want to get this thing it's where is she how is she entering the room where was she why does she want that what she wants like what's her motivation um and what you if know, just she, from a- yeah
0: what does she feel is going to happen if she doesn't get it and you yes. know it, you know and you know actors love layers and there's a reason for it like she's presenting one face but I really know the desperation behind what she's presenting right she's presenting herself as an expert but I know because I know her now and it's like it's the how she's going to do it that starts giving the specificity of character right like Mm -hmm. i should be able as a writing exercise to give students here's the archetype here's what they want here's what's going to block them do five different totally different characters do 10 do because they should all be so specific how they enter the room how they speak how they get it. I mean, that is what the writing is. And it's so funny because I get so up in my head about the math of the story, right? That Mm -hmm. I forget the fun of just writing a great character. (laughs) And you know, it suddenly becomes intimidating because I've been so in my math brain that I'm like, I just had to let her, I just had to let that flow and, um, you know, just do it. It's an interesting
1: exercise. When I was acting, we used to do that in rehearsal. Like, uh, the dialogue is the same, but, different uh, motivations change the way the reading is, changes the way you interact with the other person in the scene. And it was such a fun way to discover those layers, right? To be like, oh, she's actually thinking multiple things right now. It's not just the single-minded, she's worried about this, she's got this over here and just doing the scene over and over in so many different ways, it was such a great way to discover that complexity.
0: Well, I did. And um, it's such a great point. Number one, I do think if you're a writer, you should take an acting class just so you understand it and, and know what she's talking about because it's really important. But I literally wrote this scene, which is maybe a two or three page scene. Um, well, it's probably four, but it should be two. But it doesn't matter. See, there it goes. There goes the math. The math just jumped in. No judgment. No judgment. No judgment. I did not allow myself to think that. I wrote it, I don't know you guys, this week I wrote it maybe, I don't know, eight times. Uh, I wrote the archetype, I wrote the archetype, a little less of an archetype. I wrote, and then I did, and I just kept letting, and then all of a sudden she came and she was standing there and she is charming. And you know, what I want is a character that I don't wanna leave the screen, right? Mm -hmm. Even by the way, if this is an antagonist, it doesn't matter what their role is. I want a great introduction and I want that to want to see them on the screen. So when they leave, a little part of you goes, oh, right? Uh, right? Like that's the goal to me, right? In terms of that, make a great character, quote unquote. Um, and is it easy to do that? No, <laughs> I'm not saying it's easy. Right. Um, but that's the goal. That's the fun. That's the fun of getting it. So by the, by the, by today, the reason I'm not, um, as my son says, you know, looking like, or sounding like the sadness tuba is uh, I, I got it and I, and I, she's walking and talking and is the scene perfect? No, it, no, it's two pages too long. There's way too much exposition, blah, 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 blah. But I feel like, okay, I can, I can do this now. I can, I can write versions of this and have fun, right? What, what is it for you? What's making excuses for you, Lorian?
1: I think uh, for me, it's what you talked about, fear of disappointing everyone else. You know, I you know I do a great job of convincing other people I'm a writer, right? I have people convinced I'm a writer. They have they're convinced I'm a, such a great writer who've never read me, right? Just by the force of my personality, I've convinced them that I'm a great writer, right? But then having to um, actually deliver on that is terrifying because I've done such a good job of convincing people that what if I'm not? What if, what if it's just because people like me, right? So then I start to make excuses to support that, right? I, and, but it all comes from fear. I mean, for me, I, it all comes from fear for me. Um, and it's that fear of disappointing and it's the, the fear of it sucking and how hard it is. I mean, really, I think for me, that's the core of it. Um, and what I see in other people is it's hard. And the fear of facing that, that you can't just, you don't just sit down and write a first draft and then a second draft, you have to do all that work, writing the pages that never end up in your script, right? All that stuff. And there's just a lot of excuses, especially if you have difficult circumstances, right? Like money is a huge thing, um, taking care of someone who's ill, taking care of your kids. And then instead of finding an hour to write, you just
0: don't do anything. I totally hear you, Lorian. And I think that's a really good insight that often what you can make the excuse out of is valid. Like, uh, well, mm-hmm. I have to, I have kids and I have this and it and money and that's all valid. But it's like we say, well, a, a, an hour isn't an hour won't do anything. And I'm like, right. you know how much an hour will do a lot, a lot. Yes. Um, just do the hour. So I don't buy the excuse. You know what I mean? Like you can do it. Um, and it's funny because, right, Lorian, when you're on fire, when the concept is starting to bubble, you sure find the time. <laughs> yes,
1: <that's laughs> right, right. It's, I, haven't, that's done <laughs> right? Right? I haven't done anything else. Right? It's the fear that creates
0: the excuse, right? Um, yeah. I also think it's a, it's a low tolerance for discomfort sometimes. Mm-hmm. That you haven't actually grown the muscle of feeling that discomfort and staying in it. So you yeah. feel like, well, the discomfort must mean I shouldn't do it, or I need to make an excuse so I don't feel the discomfort. But that is all writing and art is, is, st- is being able to stay in that discomfort. Like it's a different kind of lava, right? Like there's the lava that you're going into your script to dig up for story. And then there's just the lava of sitting in the discomfort of uncertainty, of, mm-hmm. of projecting forward, oh my God, what could happen? Which you have to stop doing, right? So it's,
1: It can also be a self-fulfilling mechanism, you know, it's going to be terrible, I can't do anything, then you don't do anything, and then you get to feel bad about yourself. Yeah, you're projecting right? like forward, this, yeah. Yeah, um, and then you beat yourself up, you know, this fraud syndrome plays into that. Um, because the opposite is when you do sit down and write for that hour, you feel so powerful and so amazing, right? But if you gave up and did who knows what for that hour, made all the excuses, oh, I desperately have to look at Twitter and be freaked out, right? Then you just sort of reinforce that negative idea about yourself that you can't do it and that you shouldn't do it or that it's too hard, right? And honestly, I've spent weeks in that place, of coming down to my office and not doing anything because I feel paralyzed um, for for all the reasons, you know, all the reasons that we've talked about. And, um, and then just making myself write anything for 10 minutes can make me feel, um, like I said, powerful back in it, like a writer, someone who can own my own path. And I think that's part of it too is when we make excuses we're we're saying oh all these other things got in my way it was out of my control right but when we take control of it and we figure out how to find that hour then it's scarier because now we're the ones
0: driving our own narrative yes we can't be the victim of circumstance anymore Mm -hmm. we don't have the Mm -hmm. excuse anymore right which yes is scary uh, because now you're in discomfort now you're in uncertainty Now you're in a place where you have to hand pages to somebody, if you're a student, to your teacher, if you're just doing it on your own to your friends or your writer's group or whatever. And that can be the reason you're not writing because you don't want that moment, that moment of discomfort um, of people responding, right? Just to get notes is why you're not, because you presented yourself as a great writer and now, oh my God, everybody's going to see that I don't know anything, right? Like I totally get that, but that, you know, I just wanted to say that hollywood is littered with dreamers who didn't get their shit done litter that they're everywhere because they're people who got caught in the self-loathing cycle and made so many excuses right that they just stayed dreamers yep
2: my wife this is it just quickly she works at a production office it's a comedy show she works at um and One of the jokes is every single person on that staff has a headshot, so they found everyone's headshot and lined them up on the walls. And I guess the idea is whether you're a production coordinator or whatever, and there's no shame in working amazing above-the-line jobs that aren't creative. Um, But the idea is, it's just that idea of everyone maybe came here with a very specific idea of where they envisioned themselves in this industry, and at some point they let it go.
0: And, and mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the letting it go. Like, of course, there's dreams that don't work out and I never want to say that that doesn't happen, but a lot of times it's because you're letting it go, you know, um, because you're not, you're making excuses every day and the days are going by, you know, and it's because you are judging your own process. You're judging the value of the discomfort. You're judging what you're producing. And, you know, I just want to say that you don't. You're making excuses because you don't want to be judged, but you're already being judged by yourself.
1: One of the exercises I used to do with an old writing group was, um, we'd uh, write the worst version of it that we could possibly think of. Love it, right? Like. Don't even, this cannot be good. Like this is literally the worst version of this scene. And it was so much fun. And actually what always happened is some discovery was made, some little nugget came out of it, but you had a scene at the end of it, even though it was so bad, right? But you had then something to rewrite. So it was, and it was so like freeing without those expectations. And
0: I forgot about that until just now. And I'm super excited. <laughs> yes, like let's make it, it's so funny because I sometimes talk to people about their writing that feels unemotional and we'll be talking about, like, well that just feels sentimental. And I'll be like, okay, you, your job for your writing exercise is to write the scene as sentimentally as you can. Like literally it should ooze, it should give me diabetes. It's so sentimental. Like just go for it and inevitably Yes, They're A beautiful, emotional, heartbreaking, breathtaking thing would come up that it, once its expectations were off of it, once it didn't have to carry the weight of, of the childhood, whatever belief system, mm-hmm. there yeah. it was. So that's, I love that, Lauren. I love that. I mean, I do think it's good to create a plan. You know, they say, you know, bird by bird, if you're overwhelmed, just, you don't have to write the whole script today. You don't have to do anything today, but okay, write for, write that character talking to you. Like what, you can take it a little bit at a time if the overwhelm is what's creating the excuses. Um, I also think I read, which I think is true, is celebrate the small victories because, you know, sometimes when you're going for a big goal, like be a screenwriter professionally, that's a big goal out there, Right or write a great script or whatever it is. You know, that's a big goal, but you are achieving stuff along the way. Like you can beat yourself up because you're not there, but look, you've gotta look at every day. Did you sit down and write? Achievement. More than 70%, 80%, 90% of the people who say wanna be writers did today. Because they didn't sit down and you did. Did you turn in your assignment at school? Did you turn in your assignment to to your writer's club? Did you close your eyes and say, I know this sucks, but I'm gonna give it out anyways? All great achievements. You You gotta give yourself a pat on the back, find friends who will remind you, pat you on the back, that those are all accomplishments. Um, Because you gotta keep going, you gotta look at at what you're doing well in order to keep going and not make excuses. Um, The other thing I wanted to say is that there is, I think, there is a time when the opposite of what we're saying is true, when making excuses or avoidance is actually trying to tell you something. And you—the again, I'm, I'm going back to the only way you're gonna know this is if you accept that you're doing it and sit quietly and really get real with yourself journaling or whatever. Because sometimes, is it an indicator? Is it giving you the information that you don't really want it? Maybe you got on the path because that's what you thought you wanted when you were 20 or maybe, but actually you really wanna be an actor, right? But this was like a way to be with actors but not have to be an actor. Or you know, is the avoidance really because you don't want it bad enough? And if it isn't and you do really want it bad enough and it is truly fear and self-doubt and all the other things, well then get into that want. Get into what you want think about your great day not from accolades or ego but from like what we were talking about that day where it all starts to come and it's a story coming through you and these characters are going to exist in the world because of you and what you had to say and what you that you sat down you know want it long for it take it um do you do you think part of making excuses
1: is maybe a fear of being afraid to want it?
2: I do. I, I think one thing that's resonated with me this whole time, and I just wanna bring it up quickly because it might re- resonate with other listeners too. I think one of the excuses I make is the fear of proving people who doubt in my abilities right, um, like my parents or people who advised against chasing my dreams because of the risks. The fear of failing at this is proving them right. Um, in a way, and I think that can be an easy excuse to make. And I this really closely relates to that too many voices episode we already played. So if you're having mm-hmm. that feeling, go listen to that episode. But I think you know playing it safe, not writing because you're almost playing it safe, pursuing another path because you don't want to disappoint people who told you that chasing your dream was a bad idea.
0: Hmm. Boy, I would like to talk to the person who told you that chasing a dream is a bad idea. It's, it's never so a funny. bad idea. Does it mean you, okay, so I just want to say, that person probably didn't chase their dream. So if you chase it and get it, it's a reflection on them. And you are not, no you, not just you, but you, collectively you, are not living your life for that person. That right. person made their choices. They created their own life it is no longer yours to hold for them it is theirs to hold and they're asking you to hold it for them they might get jealous now listen if you actually start doing it they are going to get jealous and they are going to come and start picking probably and they're going to because it is threatening to them Mm. that you're succeeding and they're not that is theirs to own don't take it on don't take it on. That's theirs to own. It has nothing to do with you. Zero. Zippo. What I care about is what you're choosing to do and what life you're manifesting. Because that, the universe cares about, it chose you to do this. So it it, it doesn't care about your uncle or your grandpa or whoever. They made their choices. They shut the door. Right? And again, maybe for very good reasons. Who knows why they shut it? Right? I don't, I don't want to judge that, sh- that on them. But I do judge them for trying to bring other people down, which is, you know, this is, I'm gonna get on my soapbox now, because especially <laughs> for women, when people try to tell you to, they try to, they're trying to take your power. They're, they're literally trying to take your power. No, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Absolutely not. Dude, if that, and here's the problem, right? here's the trick, right? Those people are now in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, I had some people like that in my life who are dead now, does not matter. I hate to tell you, doesn't matter, because they live in my head. And you're right? letting them live there rent-free. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. No thank you. Take a seat. Not interested. All you got to do is catch it when it comes up. Catch the thought and just name it. Call them a name. Whatever you want to do. Thanks, Shirley. No thanks, Shirley. Right? No. And uh, I just feel passionate about this because too many people um, don't fulfill what they could because they've allowed them other people... Um, to take their power. And I do think being afraid, I totally get being afraid of disappointing people. I have it. I I have that disease too. Um, But boy, we got to let go of that because I don't think artists worry about that. Like if you think about the great artists, did Picasso worry about disappointing people? Maybe, but I doubt it. Um, You know, it's not not the calling. The calling isn't to not disappoint people because great art often does freak people out. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. right you're yeah. actually pushing the culture right. so it you're gonna push the culture to something so and how yeah. much worse We're, to
2: disappoint yourself that's what it is if the cost of disappointing others is to dis of not disappointing others is to disappoint yourself so tragic it's such yeah, a good give point Give that Meg. up
0: give that up right yeah um no i don't want you to disappoint yourself because all here's how you're not going to disappoint yourself try mm-hmm try just try just turn it in just get the group and yes it's going to be a process guys this is not magic it is not like in the movies it's a process and we're here with you in the process
1: yeah i think we say it every single episode of this podcast which is (laughs) it will suck it will be hard. It will be painful. And then it will continue to suck. And it will not be brilliant right off the bat. And it will you'll get hard notes and it will be painful. And you might cry and eat too many chips. Like it okay, now I'm just talking about my personal experience again. And it's like, also
0: going to be wonderful. And it's and also there, going yes. to be the best days of your life is Yes. When you wrote that goofy little scene and I, I freaking made myself laugh today and I delighted myself, not because of me and my ego, but because of what these characters were saying. They made me laugh and I didn't even know I wanted to say that. I didn't even know that was important to me, but then she said it and I was like, oh my God, that is really important to me. So you have to just allow that to flow because it will be also awesome if you sit down and do it.
1: Well, it's sort of where I am right now, right? I did the puke draft, and now I'm moving into my sort of first official draft that I hope to give someone for notes, right, to sort of ask me questions about. And I, what I'm doing is I really want to go into those scenes and noodle and noodle and do the complexity and the details, right, and the, the levels of complexity with relationships. Um, and I have to be done with that now so that I can finish the draft, right it's a it's really fun to get sucked into that whirlpool of what is the background of these characters relationship and how can i put the exposition in there that's really graceful and you know but um but i'm spending too much time in that when i really just need to know what the beginning middle and end of the scene is what the characters want coming in and coming out so i know what the chunk of that scene is so i can move through the whole script right because as i'm noodling each scene i'm breaking things that I set up in other scenes, which just means I'm rewriting scenes I've already written instead of
0: going all the way through the draft. Yeah, it's funny, um, right? Like the details can be avoidance fun. or they can be goals. Yes. And you have to decide, yes. and this is self knowledge, am yes. I really avoiding right now? <laughs> or- so what
1: I realized, yeah, so what I realized this morning is ah, I need to just now take out that four page scene, put what I think the line is in this scene. I think this is the next scene beat, 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 and move into the stuff that I haven't addressed yet. Like, I just need to now figure out what the whole thing is. So I had my fun, and now I need to really look at the whole structure of it. And that's how I write. I feel like I write uh, from my gut a little bit more than story math. I wish I wrote more from story math. Like, I'm still trying to intellectualize some of that stuff. But I think it's um, got to figure out what your process is. Trust it. Um... And uh, you got to get through the whole
0: draft. <laughs> Writing is a practice. By definition, that means you're not a master of it yet. By definition, that means the, the practice is what you can control. I, I cannot control that the scene is going to work or not. I'm working and working and working on it. But what I can practice is that I'm doing it, right? Pra- a practice is a commitment without guarantee. There is no guarantee to the practice, right? But there is. It is the practice gives you something back every time you do it. And I know some of you might be like rolling your eyes, like, "Oh my God, what it give it back?" Well, it did. Think about what it gave you back to sit there and write that scene and have that script in your hands and get that feedback. It to me, it's still a beautiful creative experience every time, Um, and that you're going to be sharing yourself with the world. You know, because sometimes it's not even about you. This practice, this road. You got put on the road. Sorry, you're a writer. Sorry. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I want you all who are afraid to step on the road, really, and who are going to maybe, you know, go off and do side gigs because you're afraid to step on the road. Just step on the road. Please step on the road. We need you.
2: Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand.